Welcome back to Sanctifying Story on the Life-Given Radio with Ryan Ayers. This is episode 13, November 11th, and this week we are talking about the Mabinogion. Introduction The author of the introduction to the Penguin Edition asserts that it has often been stated that the Mabinogion is a literary masterpiece, page 26. Readers considering this sentence, together with the prospect of reading the very first Arthurian tale, are in serious danger of expecting another story like Sir Thomas Mallory's Le Mort d'Arthur. All readers who set sail with such eager expectations quickly shipwreck on the actual qualities of the strange Mabinogion. The reader will notice there is not one plot, but several unrelated stories, and that in each story the plot tends to ramble. In the Knight Peridur's tale, like his hero, the story wanders about aimlessly, heaping inc- incident upon incident and ignoring every question relevant to the plot, page 27. Several other stories, contrived and unsatisfactory endings, dribble to a close, like a mostly raw cake. The story of Kulhuik is undermined by its own girth, featuring about 39 impossible tasks the hero must complete, while the story barely relates half of the tasks, three of which are not even mentioned in the original task list. So why should you, reader, take a slice of half-baked, soggy-bottomed Welsh cake? Because of the Mabinogion's raw imagination and the kind of world it reveals. Section 1. The Unsolved Mystery of the Mabinogion Before we get to why you should read it, we should first establish what exactly the Mabinogion is. The Mabinogion has no identifiable author partly because we have no idea who any of its multiple authors are, and partly because the Mabinogion is a written version of several oral traditions. Bards, the pre-modern version of today's writers, would not memorize every word of an authority-approved version of a tale. Instead, each bard knew the bullet points of his story, but would then fill in the details himself. That means the Mabinogion is not the meticulously copied manuscript of some immaculate original source. Rather, various tales and legends flowed through the minds of all kinds of bards from all over the place, growing over time until they finally pooled onto paper. We do know the legends were written in the early medieval era of around 1200 AD. The fount of these legends is with the Welsh and with their Celtic forebears. As far as we know, the Celts are a people who seemed to have surfaced during the early centuries of the last millennium before Christ in what is now Eastern Europe. By the time of Herodotus, they had established themselves north of the Alps. In 390 BC, they sacked Rome, and in 279, they did the same to Delphi, page 12. However, the Celts abhorred centralized authority in their own society like the plague, and by 400 AD, their culture was virtually extinct. However, the Celts continued to influence the cultures that outlasted them. For instance, we still use Celtic names for many places, like the Vertames and the city Paris. Much of the Mabinogion is sourced from Celtic legend, but many of the stories are also heavily flavored by the French. Scholars choose their respective hills to die on as to how much of the Mabinogion is French or Celtic, but as long as we recognize it shares origins in both, we'll get along just fine. Generally speaking, the closer a story sounds to La Morte d'Arthur, the more chivalry, 
courtly romance and satin clothes there are, the more the French influenced the story. The structure of the book varies as different translators will put the stories in different orders. The first translation was titled The Mabinogion because four of these tales end with So ends this branch of the Mabinogi, page 117. So, whichever translation you have, there are four main tales or branches of the book. That of Pool, Branwen, Manawadin, and Math. These four tales are largely mythological in nature and share many similarities in style and structure to each other. Two other star stories follow, The Dream of Maxin and Lude and Levelis, which relate semi-historical accounts of British courage in Roman and pre-Roman days. The next tale, The Dream of Ronabui, contrasts legendary Arthur with the realities of Wales. There are three more tales, that of Wain, Peridor, and Geraint, which mostly resemble the Arthurian legends we are familiar with. Finally, there is the tale Halkolwick won Olwen, which is bizarre and pretty much just as its own thing. Section 2. Eating Half-Baked Cake There are many flaws in these stories, but its virtues are in fact so abundant that its flaws can be cheerfully and confidently owned. Page 26. The Mabinogion is worth reading because at the very least for the Celtic virtues vividly displayed throughout each story. Pugel's tale, for instance, demonstrates great courtesy. Pugel, king of 700 homesteads, unknowingly offends another king in hunting. Once he is aware of his offense, Pugel asks, Lord, how can I earn your friendship? Page 47. They agree to swap shapes, looks, and manners. So Pugel looks identical to this other strange king. And Pugel then spends an entire year fighting that king's wars and earning wealth power and honor for another man, simply because he was accidentally discourteous once while hunting. Another tale, Peridurs, celebrates justice and prudence. Sir Kai strikes two dwarves senseless in his unjust wrath. Peridur vows to never come to Arthur's court again until I meet the tall man, Kai, and avenge the insult of the dwarf and his wife, page 223, which Peridur eventually avenges in full. Many of the stories also frequently reveal Celtic hospitality. And not one of them, man or woman, left Rhiannon without being given a memorable gift, a brooch or a ring or a precious stone. Pool and Rhiannon ruled David prosperously the first year and the second, page 59. Or, no gentleman or lady of Ireland who came to visit Branwyn left without being given a brooch or ring or treasured royal jewel, and it was a marvelous sight to see these carried off, page 73. Many more virtues, like patience, prudence, and fidelity, are exhibited, but to hear about those, you will have to read the book. The Mabinogion is also worth reading because of the world it reveals. The universe the modern man tries to live in is a flat plane. There is no spiritual realm. In John Lennon's famous words, There is no heaven, no hell below us, above us only sky. The modern world is flat. There is only the material universe we can see and quantify. In the medieval age, the world was not flat, but full-orbed. There is the material plane, but in and around and giving meaning to the material plane is the spiritual. The Celts before the medievals also had a dual notion of the world. 
and described places they thought were especially holy as thin places. In other words, for the Celts, the division between the material and the spiritual in these holy places was so thin that spiritual and material began to converge on each other in various and striking ways. In the Mabinogion, the whole world is thin. Women boil magical cauldrons, giant one-legged cyclops give you directions to magical fountains. Men can hold their breath for nine days and nine nights and carve off all their flesh and still be alive enough to marry their bride. Men turn into otters and birds and grains of seed and prophesy the future. Modernity lives in a one-dimensional world of stuff, with an empty space above us and a meaningless space below us. But for the medieval, space is not empty space, but the heavens, filled with personalities and cosmic dance. And in the Mabinogion, the separation between that heaven and our earth is very thin. Conclusion Our modern culture has stopped practicing virtue. Our government sanctions the murder of thousands of innocent children every year. Our modern state has also lost the concept of virtue. When was the last time you heard anyone in the public square mention either virtue or wisdom? The concept of justice is being discussed, but the concept of justice has dissolved from an, from an objective standard, i.e. an actual virtue, to social justice, which means justice is whatever you and your neighbor feel is true. We have also attempted to block out heaven and live only with the material world and make believe that souls, consciousness, angels, and God aren't there. We need stories like the Mabinogion to re-enchant the world, to help us see again the desirableness of virtue and the immaterial part of our world all around us. And we cannot desire virtue or chart our proper course in this peculiar world apart from the lordship and saving and sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ. Until next time, read the Mabinogion. It's work to pick through the bad parts, but the good parts really are worth it. Keep on reading, and thanks for listening to Sanctifying Story.